Okay, so you have that thought on your mind. If we weren't in masks today, I would ask you to share it with each other, but I'm going to save the awkward mask thing this morning. But I'm going to share with you my uh, last deep sense of joy. Um, unlike Caleb, I enjoy receiving gifts. Um, just kidding. I uh, enjoy receiving and giving gifts as well. But yesterday, since my wife and I are traveling um, for Christmas, we're going back to, my, to the motherland of Kansas um, to be with my family for the holidays. Um, we celebrated kind of our own little Christmas yesterday. And one of the things that is the thief of my joy is when my coffee gets cold. Um, I cannot stand it. I will be working and drinking my coffee, and all of a sudden it's cold, and then I have to get up and go to the microwave and heat it up, or, or brew another cup, you know, just inconvenient, just classic American inconvenience. Um, but my wife knows me so well that she got me a mug that keeps my coffee warm for Christmas. Everyone give it up for Olivia. For <laughs> She's a great gift giver, and I will no longer... The, the Satan can no longer steal my joy by the source of my cold coffee um, because of my wife is a good, good gift giver. Um, thanks, babe. Um, but we, have, we do this thing in, in church culture where we try and separate joy and happiness. But, guys, it's really the same pursuit. Um, we, you know, we're always talking about the pursuit of happiness. Um, it's kind of one of the founding principles of our country is um, that man can, um, you know, have freedom to, to pursue, to, for, for the pursuit of happiness. Um, seize the day, carpe diem, it's all to find our uh, inner happiness, our inner joy. Um, and we need it. Um, we, we need joy, and we find it in so many different things. I find it in my warm coffee, and I will forever have warm coffee at home now. We find it in, in our friends. Um, even in the Bible, in the Old Testament, um, there are sources of, of joy. On page one, God says, this, he looks at the world that he created and says it's beautiful. It says it's very good. So naturally, people find joy in beautiful things. Um, or in uh, Psalm 104, the, the psalmist says, we find joy in growing flocks or abundant harvests. Or in, uh, oh, that was Psalm 50, 65. In Psalm 104, it says that we can find joy in a good bottle of wine or to bring, uh, or, or in our friends or in um, the, just any of the gifts that God gives us. Uh, in Hebrews, in a, a Hebrew proverb compares joy to the perfume um, the, the smell of perfume to your nose is like is what a, a friend brings you. We can find joy in so many things that God gives us. However, we can find that all these gifts that God gives us, if we overuse them or put them in the wrong place, can be the thief of our joy. If we overuse our friends, they can be the thief of our joy. If we overdrink wine, it will be the thief of our joy. If we overly work. It will be the thief of our joy. And we know that life is not all sunshine and rainbow, so we can't just rely on these gifts, on all these things that bring us happiness. And something that I think is really cool about our faith and about the biblical story is that though life is really marked by death and loss, biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy, a unique perspective that joy is really an attitude that we as God's people adopt, not because of any kind of happy circumstances that might happen, any good gifts that we might receive, but because of the hope in God's love and promise. And so today in our last week of Advent, we're focusing in on how God's gift of joy has been made manifest to us, has been manifested to us, and how we live into this gift that God so graciously grants us. And so I want to start classically 
in Luke chapter 2. It would not be 2021 if we were not in Luke. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 2. And I will actually read from the screen since I'm holding, holding the mic. Um, so no worries back there. No need to change the slides for me anymore. Um, but I'm going to read starting in verse 8. And where we're starting is right after Jesus was actually born. And so this is where, after Jesus was born, the angel showed up to the shepherds. It says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to the Bethlehem and see what has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Okay, so this is the Christmas story that Jesus was born. Jesus has come to us. And in verse 10, the angel appears to the shepherd and says, do not be afraid. The beginning of our faith, we start off in a state of, of fear of life. And, and I've heard it said that our faith, our growth, our sanctification is really going from a place of fear and constantly over time moving it to a place of trust in all that God wants to experience for God wants us to experience and trust that God is who he is. They said, do not be afraid. We bring good news. This word is euangelion, and it's the same word that we translate in, into gospel. This is the gospel, that the long-awaited king is here. You see, right before this, before Jesus was born, there were 400 years. I've said this before, but there were 400 years of time between when anyone, any prophets, when God had spoken to his people. They, they, he had told of a king to come. They had told that he's going to deliver them. And 400 years of waiting. And finally, the king is here. And where there is a king, there is a kingdom. Now, kingdom is a territory that a king reigns over. And since we know that God is the creator of all things, the extent of his realm is the whole world. And so the, the kingdom of God is wherever God reigns, and since he reigns everywhere, the kingdom of God is everywhere. But this here is really special. This here changes things. God is now incarnate. God is now with us. God has now fulfilled his promise of sending his promised king. The gospel is that Jesus is the long-awaited king. The gospel isn't health and wealth. The gospel isn't social justice. The gospel isn't show up to church on Sunday. The gospel isn't read your Bible every day. These things might be the result of the gospel in your life, but the gospel is that the king has come. The king is here. Can we celebrate that? <laughs> Pretty cool. And he says that it's good news of great joy to all people. Now, 
I really struggled with this. I uh, tried to find an example of good news for all people that wouldn't put a dividing line through this room, which is telling of some things. But so I did a simple Google search. I said, good news for everybody. Just Google search, good news for everybody. And there wasn't anything from a news site, nothing from a social media post, nothing from TikTok, nothing, nothing that was news, that was good news for every single person. For three pages, and that's all f- as far as I went. Nobody goes past the first page of Google, but I went for three pages, and th- all there was was the gospel. All there was was Jesus. The only good news for all people has come in the form of a baby on Christmas Day, and I just think that was super cool. Like, good news for all people. We can't even comprehend it. Yeah, we can celebrate that one, too. That's great. (laughs) But, like, nothing can compare. We can't reach that level of good news that reaches everybody. Super cool. Um, And so they they get this this good news of great joy, and so they go and see Jesus, and they see Jesus, and they returned, and they glorified, praising God. And so I am encouraged that you guys respond to the gospel, the the coming of our king with celebration, with clapping. And so God has manifested his joy to us in the person of Jesus. God's coming, God's sending of of the king, of his messianic king, of his son, Jesus, is manifested He is the manifestation of God's gift of joy to us. We can live, we can live in this and share in His blessing because God sent His Son. But we say, we say, what about the joy that other things can give us? Like, if if happiness and joy really there is no difference, if the pursuit isn't any different, what about when it's not all sunshine and rainbows? If, if this reality of God being here with us, if this reality that the messianic king has come is true, then why does life suck sometimes? Thomas Aquinas, he's an early church father, um, which is just, you know, a really smart dead guy who helped us understand the Bible. Um, he said, no one can live without delight, and that is why a man deprived of spiritual joy goes over to carnal pleasures. Uh, the Westminster Catechism, which is just basically an explanation book on the Christian faith, says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so these two things and, and just life experience shows us that we in some way have some kind of duty, some kind of control, some kind of action to take to live into the joy that God wants us to be in. We all in some way control our emotions. Sometimes we feel like our emotions, our experience, our uh, happiness, our joy is controlled by our circumstances, but really we choose to control these things in whether good ways or bad ways, whether it's med- self-medicating with things, whether it's putting yourself around people, whatever it is that you do to cope or handle or be in a good, healthy place, we all in some way control our emotions and our spiritual well-being. And so I think that we have an obligation, a moral obligation to let our joy be rooted in God, or to posture ourselves, to put ourselves in a place to receive the gift of joy that God wants to give us. And so one of the best passages in the Bible, um, that I, best explanatory passages in the Bible, I'm not picking favorites here, um, but of just of how to live into what God wants you to experience is found in Philippians 4. Um, and in Philippians, Paul is writing from prison, 
to a, a church in Philippi, um, encouraging them in how to live as children of God. That's um, the simple summary of what Philippians is. And so, um, and in our immediate context in chapter 4, right before our passage, he's addressing two ladies named Yodia uh, and Syntyche. That is going on our list of possible baby names, babe, Syntyche. Um, we are nowhere close to having a kid. <laughs> Just let you guys know. <laughs> Um, but he's, he's uh, exhorting them to um, get along, exhorting them to live into this gift of joy that God has given us. It's like, why are, why are you guys fighting? Why are you guys, guys being apart from the joy that God wants you to experience in, this, in your family, in your, in your, you know, as your, in your Christian brothership and, and sistership? Um, and so this is Paul encouraging them um, to live into the gifts that God wants them to experience. Starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. And so he's exhorting these people to <laughs> live into the gift that God wants them to experience. And so his first thing, and I have three kind of we're talking about the discipline of joy, and we're talking about how we have a moral obligation to live into this gift that God wants us to experience. And he, get, he basically tells them three things. And the first thing is to rejoice, the action of joying, um, to give thanks, to, to praise God for what he's done, what he's giving to them. Just as crying is to sorrow, so is rejoicing to joy. C.S. Lewis said that, uh, praising or rejoicing is not merely a result of enjoyment or joy, but it is the completion of it. We are not joyful until we have rejoiced through our joy. So before we give praise to God, before we celebrate what it is that God has given us, we are not experiencing joy. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't know what to call that. Um, but we must ingrain into our lives. We must sow it into our lives to practice rejoicing through ritual and response. And you say, Dion, ritual is a really weird word. It makes it sound like we're doing some weird things. And so ritual, the basic explanation of ritual is doing things that uh, form your life in a certain direction. That is what I mean. So you can call it ritual, call it rhythm, but by, by ritual of rejoicing, I mean taking time every day, every week, every month, every year to thank God, to rejoice God, to rejoice for what God has done for you. And Something that I think is really cool here as a Christian, and this is why our faith and our joy is undying, is that even though life happens, sorrows do come, sometimes life sucks, sometimes our car breaks down, sometimes we lose people, we have always have something to be thankful for. We always have something to rejoice in, and that is our king that has been given to us. We get to rejoice that we have a king and we are living in a kingdom that will never die or fade away. And so I want to encourage you to ingrain into your lives a ritual of rejoicing every day. 
It's the difference for me in the morning is if, if I wake up and, I, and I'm thinking and, and praising God and, and thanking him for the things that he's done in my life and thanking him for Jesus and thanking him for my wife is, is on our walk with our dogs in the morning. It's either I'm happy to be alive and awake because I'm thanking God for the gift of life or I wake up and I'm mad about my alarm and I'm mad that I have to take the dogs out and I'm mad that, uh, that I am a cold sleeper, my wife is a hot sleeper, and I'm just mad about things. And so we must ingrain into our lives a ritual of rejoicing, a ritual of thanksgiving, and we will be joyful people. And the second thing is response. Life happens, like I said. We must learn to make our response to the things that happen to be rejoicing. Now, I'm not saying celebrating when you lose a loved one. That is not something to celebrate. That's something to mourn. And it's something to be sorrowful about and something that you should not ignore. It's not healthy for you to ignore that. But if we respond in apathy, if we respond in pride, if we respond in just focusing totally in on ourselves and that life sucks, then we're going to be people who are constantly thinking that life sucks. And so we must ingrain into our lives our responses to sorrow, our responses to the bad things that happen, thanksgiving for being a part of a kingdom and, and being children of a gracious God who has given us a path to deep joy, a path to life in the full. And so practice thanksgiving, practice rejoicing in ritual and response, and you will experience, start to experience this deep joy that God wants for you. The second thing is draw close to God. He says through prayer and petition, bring all your requests to God and draw near to him. He says he is near to you. And in, in the last words that, Je so we, you know, one might say Jesus already left. Jesus is in heaven. No one's with us. But Jesus' last words in Matthew were, for I am with you always until the end of the age. And the age hasn't ended. We are still in the age. So Jesus is still with us. Um, so we must draw close to God. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, um, great book. If you're looking to fulfill your last year's New Year's resolution of 30 books, I recommend reading Mere Christianity if you have not already read it. Um, but he said, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into it, the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. And if you're close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. Once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? Once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither and die. And so there is a supernatural reality that God has provided all of this and gives us the opportunity to be, to jump into the water and get wet, to jump in front of the fire and get warm. So we must draw close to God. There's a supernatural assurance that can be found nowhere else than in the presence of God. There's supernatural joy, there's supernatural life, there's supernatural just, it's just different. When we are in the presence of God, when we are in what he wants us to experience. So draw close to God, and you will be people characterized by joy. And the last thing, he says, focus on the good things, basically. And I want to read that again because it's just so beautiful. His final exhortation to the people in Philippi. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And my friend, well, he's not my friend, someone who I wish was my friend, John Mark Comer, summarized this as curate your mind stream. Focus on the good things. The things that we fill ourselves with are the things that are going to come out, are the things that we're going to experience. It's, I think of when I was a kid and I would go to school and learn bad words or go to school and learn bad habits and come home and my dad would be like, I did not teach you that. Um, and, and it's because we're filling ourselves at school with things, with things that our friends are saying, with things that the culture is putting, us, putting on us. And I think of being on social media all the time and the difference of my thought life, the difference of my conversations, the difference of my opinions, the difference of what I am thankful about or, or cynical about is, is happening because I'm being on social media. Um, we must not fill ourselves up with the bad stuff. We are people created to be fueled and act out of that. And we are also people created to be fueled by a specific thing and act out of that. And so I don't know much about cars, but I do know if you put diesel in my car, my car will stop running. It won't be good for you. You've got to put the right stuff in to get the right outcome. Okay, so the good stuff, gathering in community, taking communion, being together, reading the Bible, worshiping God. We must be filling ourselves with the good stuff. And so practice thanksgiving, draw close to God, and curate the things that you are consuming. Because that will be what characterizes who you are. Now, does this mean if we do this, we're just going to be happy all the time? No, I already said that. And even Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he experiences rejoicing yet suffering. He's sorrowful yet joyful. And that's just another thing about being a part, of being a ch child of God, is that these things can be experienced in their fullness at the same time. So joy isn't the state of our day-to-day -day emotions, but the constant condition of the heart of a child of God, of the heart of a person who gets in the water. And this is only possible with God's presence. So what I want for you is deep-rooted joy, that can only be found in knowing that he has come and welcomes us into a life that can be marked by divine happiness, only found in posturing ourselves to be a part of this kingdom, to be a part, to receive the blessings of, of what he wants us to experience, of hope, peace, love, and joy. And his power to do this for us is displayed only in what he did. The gospel is that the king came, and the reason that we get to live into this gospel is because he died on the cross for us. And so every Sunday, we celebrate this. Every Sunday, we take communion, we take the bread, we drink the cup to remember what he did for us, to celebrate what he did for us, to celebrate that we can live into this kingdom life that will characterize us as people of a otherworldly joy. Now, we know that as we leave here, things are going to attack us. We know that the things that we see on social media, the things that we see on the news, don't want us to experience this truth. The, the, the enemy does not want us. The three enemies of our soul are the devil, the world, and our flesh, and none of those things want us to experience this joy. And so this is going to take action. Joy is an act of defiance against these, of, of the devil. And so what I want for you guys is this deep rooted joy.
And so, um, as we take communion, rejoice that God has done this for you. As we take communion, think about how you can ingrain this ritual, this response to God into your life. And guys, as we leave from here, curate your mind stream. Fill yourself with the good stuff. Because what you fill yourself with is what you're going to be characterized by. so much and are overjoyingly thankful for what you have done. God, we are overjoyed. We are happy that you have come, that you chose us, that you allow us to live into this kingdom reality, and that you paid the ultimate price, that you died on the cross for us. And we celebrate that you displayed your power over death and your power over the world and resurrected three days later. And so God, uh, as we, I, I want to pray for my friends as we move into our Christmas season, as we move um, to go see, spend time with family, um, open presents, and uh, do all the things, all the, all the uh, uh, rituals that we already have in our lives, um, that you... Um, if you aren't already the center, that you become the center of those things, that you become the center of our giving, that you become the center of our celebrating. Um, we love you, and um, again, just want to pray for my brothers and sisters that they can experience um, this deep, um, divine, supernatural joy that you want us to 